welcome to Relay Chain, a podcast produced by Parity Technologies, where we discuss all things substrates, polka dots, and Web3. All right. Today on Relay Chain, we have Chris DaCosta and Tofik Chowdhury. Uh, they're from Totem Accounting. Can you guys each introduce yourselves? Hi, uh, I'm Chris DaCosta. I'm the founder of Totem Live Accounting. I've been working in the blockchain space actually since 2013, and I was present at various early Bitcoin conferences. My history is that I've worked um, as an IT consultant, mainly with business intelligence, supporting finance functions within businesses uh, since 2001. And Tofik? Hi, uh, I'm Tofik Um I am the co-founder of Totem as well as I'm the, uh, currently working as a developer. Uh, I have been working in the development space, web, mostly web development, uh, for the last few years. And uh, recently, uh, a few months ago, uh, Chris contacted me um, via uh, a common share contact. And that's when we started talking about uh, building the Totem platform. And uh, that's how we started. Cool. So. Before we get into like the blockchain part of this, just what is accounting? Uh, like, how does it work? Okay, so I'll try and make this as, as straightforward as possible. Generally, people think of accounting as being a bit of a black art, but actually there are a number of kind of steps to accounting. The first is the bookkeeping part where you record entries and receipts and invoices into, into your accounts. And then you have the accounting part, which takes the information and tries to make it uh, meaningful to understand what's going on inside the business. But on top of that, it deals with the regulations that might occur uh, within the individual jurisdiction that the business is taking place. And so how might accounting work like without blockchain? If you're a company, like what does this mean for you in practice? What do you have to do? Uh, what it means for you in practice is that you have to set up a piece of accounting software and if you've never done that before, it's it's quite a complex task. The accounting software itself manages the way in which individual documents are recorded into the accounting system. And those documents essentially represent activities that are taking place in a business. So if you're setting up a piece of accounting software, you would need to set up your invoicing, you would need to set up how you record your purchases. The software itself uh, handles what most people know of accounting as being double entry bookkeeping. So the software will handle that side of it, but it'll handle it internal to the software and anything that's external to the software. So your your relationship with another business is not really considered at all. So what is double entry accounting? Oh, okay. Like so on a very basic level, double entry accounting is for most people what a debit and a credit is. So you have essentially two ledgers which record uh, information to do with your accounts. And if you make movements between one ledger and another, you would balance it out by having a debit in one ledger and a credit in another. It's more complicated than that because generally in an accounting system, you have multiple debits and credits that can occur for any one document. So for example, if you were creating an invoice, you have entries not just for the sales, but for the tax side of things as well. And so the various ledgers 
record entries according to the elements inside your document. So like the way I understand this is like a business is going to have a balance sheet. It's going to have assets and liabilities on it. And then accounting is how you get to the next balance sheet of assets and liabilities. So you're accounting, uh, not a better word, for all of the changes that take place in a business. So like you could say from Q1 to Q4, accounting is like your path for how you got from your Q1 balance sheet to your Q4 balance sheet. Is that right? Th that's correct. Um, what I want to say is that none of this is broken. This is not one of the issues that we're trying to fix. So this this is all really established uh, methodology. There are rules that are set out around how you you manage that, how you manage the changes from one quarter to the next, as you say. Uh, but in terms of technology, what's actually happening there is you're recording a state change from one period to another. And every accounting entry that you you make is essentially a change of state from one point in time to the next. As I say, this is not necessarily broken. This isn't the, the, the problem that we're trying to solve. Yeah. So what is the problem? If you've got two companies that are interacting with each other, they have their own separate software accounting systems. And yet, they clearly have a relationship. One company will produce an invoice that the other one pays. And the invoices are recorded within one party's, the seller's accounts, in one way. So they're the sales, the income for that company. But on the other side, you've got the purchases. So it's a mirrored transaction. And these two parts are completely disconnected. And it seems a bit crazy in the world that we live in that these parts are disconnected. So what we're trying to do is actually connect those parts together. And we're saying that if you create an invoice at one particular moment, it should theoretically be possible to also create the mirrored transaction in your customer's accounts. Right. So right now, the way it works is that you're basically trusting both parties to properly account for this sale. That's exactly right. And it should just be one one event that triggers the change on for both parties. Yes. Right? I mean, trust is one of the issues if you're thinking about it on a level of how do we report everything that occurs in our accounts or in our business. But there's also the issue of just things that get overlooked. And this happens not just in small companies, but it also happens in big companies as well. Um, in invoices don't get paid or they get sent to the wrong departments or somehow they've just got missed. And large companies as well as small companies spend a lot of manual effort trying to put that back together again. Um, another thing is uh, we are uh, talking earlier um, with Chris uh, that uh, in terms of accounting, since they both of the parties are even multi-party systems, they, they have their own software and they have to do the same thing in each of their end. And uh, that's not really interconnected. That's that's the reason. So that's one of the things we're trying to solve to make it interconnected. And then you have one entry, it's done by one person or one party, and then it's being uh, basically used by everyone. So you create an invoice that, that doesn't have to be recreated by the other party. So that's one of the problems we are trying to solve, that make it interconnected and make it really easy to be able to share the information and exchange the, anything um, related to accounting. In order to use this, do you need both parties to use it? Or can like one entity decide to use this totem accounting and then still benefit even if their counterparties aren't all using it? Well, yes. So we consider these parties to be um, active and passive players on the totem network. So an, an active player would be uh, somebody who, for example, would be able to create all kinds of accounting documents 
for a passive player, and the passive player would be able to read those accounting documents without necessarily having to to take part in the system. And this is kind of one of the advantages of using blockchain is that you have this ability to be passive. You can read what's what's recorded into the blockchain without necessarily having to take part in it yourself. Of course, an active player would be somebody that that does set up what we call an identity in inside Totem and start to create documents uh, themselves. Another thing is that uh, the passive player can eventually become an active player as well. So that even if they didn't start with a, a, in Totem, eventually they, if they wanted to, they could join Totem and then uh, they would have all those existing records that were created for them, sort of. Uh, so they could have access to them as well, eventually. Yeah. So like if you're an, if you're an active player, you're putting all of your transactions online or mm-hmm. all of your debits and credits as a transaction on Totem, and it's recording that into your own accounting. And then a passive person, like a passive entity, could just read from the chain and record that into theirs. But if then if they initiated some purchase order or something, how would that end up in the chain for the like the in this case the receiver who's an active user of Totem? Okay. I just wanted to go back a bit on what, what you said there. So in a traditional accounting system, we we do think of debits and credits as a way of breaking down the activities that take place inside, well, blockchain transactions don't work necessarily in that way, but then they don't need to. So the result of a debit and credit on a particular ledger is a new balance. And a normal blockchain transaction is able to handle that, the change of state from one balance to the other without considering whether it's a a debit or credit. And it's a bit more complicated within an accounting system because generally people might think, okay, well, you know, one is a subtraction and the other one is a uh, an addition. But that's not, not necessarily always the case when you look at the details of how accounting works under the hood. So all that we would be concerned with is just looking at the new balance that's occurred within a particular ledger. So your sales ledger would change to a new balance. Your sales tax ledger would change to a new balance. The actual debit and credit comes from having a previous balance and a new balance. And between the two, you can work out whether it's a debit or credit. Yeah, I, I still don't understand. Like, um, So say you're like an active user here, and then one of the passive users initiates some transaction that affects your business, but they don't actually put a transaction on the totem chain. How does that end up helping you as the active user of totem? Right. Would you so, put it in yourself? So a good example of that would be if you took a taxi ride and the taxi driver gave you a receipt. So they're not necessarily working with Totem at this particular point in time. So they give you the receipt. You would have to enter that receipt into your accounting system as you would do normally. What Totem would do and what we're attempting to do is to try and populate our list of supplies, if you like, list of companies that are out there. Um, in inside the totem bases, uh, totem database as a kind of ready-made uh, selection. So your taxi driver with his company from your receipt would already be in in the totem network. It it doesn't help you at this particular point in time because you still have to encode that data. But th- their details about the company is already there inside the totem network. Okay. For from a passive user's point of view, you could say to the taxi driver, "Hey, you know, I've just encoded this into Totem. It's now you can see it in Totem accounting, even though you're not actually taking part in that." Where the benefit lies is 
how do we get from uh, somebody who's a passive user into somebody that becomes an active user? And and this is an area that, that we've, both Tufik and I have been working sort of quite heavily on. So it's the idea of how do we reduce the, the barrier to entry to be as absolutely as low as possible so that even a non-technical user could begin to use Totem without having to have any understanding necessarily of blockchain or cryptocurrencies or anything like that. Yeah, because uh, the way we deal with uh, each of the records is uh, basically they are centered by an identity. What an identity is basically is a uh, blockchain wallet. So if uh, whenever uh, if you are an active user and then you want to record and and a record for the passive user, you would have to either they have to be already existing as a list of companies you, you would uh, provide, or they can actually create a company uh, on the on the passive user's name and you create the uh, identity themselves. And eventually, they can hand it over to them, or, or uh, if they are, if they want to, or they can uh, still uh, maintain that uh, themselves as well. Yeah. Like one other question on this like multi business thing is that they are going to exist in different jurisdictions. So the accounting rules might be different. And if these rules are kind of like encoded on chain, how do you deal with different rules in different places? Okay, so there's two two things there. So the, the first thing is the actual encoding of the data is the bookkeeping activity. And then how the rules are applied for particular jurisdictions is actually an interesting question because this is more to do with reporting of the information that's been encoded into the accounting system. So at this stage and in the foreseeable future, we're mainly concentrating on the bookkeeping side of it. So how, how the data is actually entered, but there will be a second layer to, to borrow a commonly used phrase on top of that, which would interpret that information and report it according to the, the jurisdictions. We don't necessarily see that as being part of the runtime functionality that we're building in, but it could be a layer on top of what it is that we're doing at the moment. And what we anticipate happening is that because all of this is open source, that individual jurisdictions, there will be people working on this in, in individual jurisdictions that will propose modules, if you like, or changes to the front end module that will allow reporting for a particular jurisdiction. Yeah, so you can kind of split this into two levels, like the actual accounting parts, this is just addition and subtraction mostly, and that's the same everywhere in the world. And then there's the reporting part, that's different everywhere in the world. So on the chain's logic, you're putting the accounting part, but then you have just tools that kind of exist on this second layer for how you report this information. Yes. It's a kind of long-term goal to address those, but it's it's not what we would be doing in in the initial releases releases of Totem. Okay, I guess it it would be something like uh, normally in layman's language that uh, the way we have taxes, like if you buy an item, uh, the buyer pays on certain amount of tax, and the seller says pays a certain amount of tax depending on their country or whatever. Uh, so it, that's that's what would eventually apply in this case. I mean. I wanted to just summarize what Chris said, puzzling. Yeah. So like, I think in your blog post, you mentioned that you have a hybrid of on and off chain logic. Is this kind of where that division is or what? what's your division of like on and off chain? Well, what we consider to be on and off chain data is essentially is something that Patrick Nielsen said, actually, we don't want to put everything on blockchain because it just doesn't make sense to do that. And there is an element of data that we 
probably shouldn't be putting on blockchain because it doesn't change. There's no state changes there. Textual information attributes of, of the information that we're storing on the blockchain shouldn't necessarily be there. But it's related directly to whoever is creating their accounting in Totem. The way we split it is we say that, okay, we, if we're recording state changes, we can record references to those state changes. And from those references, we can connect to more meaningful information that uh, would be held off-chain in a database of some kind. In fact, we've been looking at this from a decentralized perspective, and we don't find as yet that there's any good solutions to this. So a good example is that at the moment, for expediency more than anything else, we're storing some data in JSON files so that we can query that data and make it meaningful for the user on the front end. Maybe Tufik can explain a bit more about this. Yeah, so uh, Jason, we actually talked about quite a lot how we can store those off-chain data. Like uh, there are other options, like you can use uh, IPFS, but where the problem would be that in IPFS, um, you'd have to, every time you make a change, you'd have to submit a new file, basically, and it, it con continually creates a new entries of the same thing, uh, just incremental, but uh, that itself is a problem. But the other problem is that uh, in IPFS, you don't have the way to actually query the data. Uh, you, if you want to search for uh, an item in the list and you, you don't have a way to do that. For our case, it, we are um, at the moment using JSON file, which will be eventually moving to most likely to NoSQL database. So in our JSON files, uh, mostly for prototype purposes, so we, we can do that querying and all that sort of sorting or whatever we need to do uh, ourselves that blockchain doesn't yet necessarily solve this problem because in blockchain whatever you store uh, it's uh, even in substrate you can store data but you cannot actually query the data without retrieving the whole thing so, so that's why we need this sort of uh, off-chain data storage yeah but the chain is sort of solving the trust issue like when you have a, a credit on your account you're just kind of trusting that somebody else will put a debit on their account yeah and this is what the chain is solving is that that just gets handled kind of atomically Yes. Yeah. yeah, so that's all being handled by the chain itself. In fact, it, we can go, we were kind of talking about this the other day, you can go a bit bit further than this. Um, you could say, okay, if we're just storing an amount, say it's 100 on the blockchain, it's kind of meaningless on in itself because you don't know whether it's 100 kilograms, you don't know whether it's $100 or 100 there's euros. No it's, it, there, there's no context to it. So we're storing the contextual information off-chain because that provides an element of privacy, although it's not ideal at this stage. Um, it, it helps to, to maintain that uh, level of privacy. Yeah, and then you just have logic for decoding this into the contextual form. That's right, and that's all done on the front end. Yeah, so since you guys are both programmers, let's go more into the technical side. Um, okay. I just wanted to give some context about like what accounting is and like how you're solving this. So like, how do you see this fitting into the Polkadot ecosystem? Well, because accounting is a sensitive subject for a lot of companies, they come from a an existing marketplace where they think of their accounting software as being their own and private to themselves. It's likely that in the interim, they're also going to think of that for Totem. So if even if they're running Totem, they may want to run a private chain within their own business and support it themselves. But Polkadot fits into this because we're able to potentially offer the opportunity for 
communications between those private chains and the public network itself by relaying messages across the Polkadot network. And we see that as having a lot of value because it, it allows people to continue the way they're thinking at the moment and still interoperate with a public network as well, which would benefit sort of individuals rather than companies. If, if I'm going to a restaurant and I have a receipt, for example, I'm not running a business necessarily, but maybe I just want to keep a record of that receipt, then I would be interacting with the public blockchain, whereas the restaurant itself, if it's a big enough chain, might make, want to have its own private network to, to handle that. And Polkadot facilitates that transmission of, uh, of information. Okay, so like you're building your chain of substrate. Like what features are important to you to be able to build these tools? When we first looked at how we should build this, it's actually quite, there's quite a long history of the project itself. It goes back all the way back to 2014, actually. But um, in 2016, we were looking at Ethereum and the possibility of building a smart contract, but it wasn't ideal. And then we discovered that within Ethereum, there are pre-compiled contracts, which essentially are baking functionality into the Ethereum blockchain code itself. And this, this is where we kind of started with it. Um, we worked on a fork of Ethereum and, and started thinking along that direction. When Substrate came along, r the runtime modules in Substrate essentially do that. They, they say, you're baking your functionality directly into the blockchain itself. You're not operating on a smart contract level, which is reliant on some other blockchain. You are actually building the blockchain. So this kind of answered all of the questions that we had about how to do this. And it became obvious that this was going to be the, the way to go. Also, uh, one of the thing is that uh, in a Substrate, you can uh, upgrade the runtime anytime. So that also helps us with uh, like continuous development, upgrading the system, uh, making changes that's required. Yeah, so in, in terms of if you had a smart contract that otherwise would have to redeploy it completely and then, yeah, there are ways to uh, upgrade, but it, the Polkadot one is actually helps us in a, really because it's, you can apply the changes on the live network without having to uh, just make any uh, effect to the user. But user doesn't have to know what happened in the background, but you just apply the changes. Uh, and this has worked really well for us because it's meant that we've been able to deploy a runtime module, work on the front end, test to see whether the functionality is is behaving the way in which we wanted it to. And then if there's any problems with that, then we can uh, make those changes back into the runtime, reapply it, and we're kind of good to go. And the front end can sort of just keep up all the time. So we have this kind of parallel uh, development phase, which is really productive. It, it actually uh, helped us quite a bit because we're, uh, in, in a lot of times we had in a way that uh, we had an idea that we want to implement and sometimes uh, we just implemented something uh, as a prototype and then uh, when we started using it, we didn't, we, either we didn't like it or we thought some other way would be better and then we could just update the runtime and then that we could just continue working on it without having to wait for some big change or do other things. Yeah, so like what kind of state is your development in? Do you have a testnet or are you still developing locally? So so we have a testnet at the moment, um, which you can visit, which is called dev.totem.live. And this is really our experimental network where we're kind of just checking out how to onboard people. We have a couple of modules that are already live. Um, we have the uh, projects module and the timekeeping module. 
and we have the identities module and an existing payments module, obviously to transfer the the currency itself. But we um, are trying to avoid all discussions with the end user, if you like, with notions of cryptocurrency or blockchain. Um, so you won't necessarily see that directly in the in the application itself. Uh, and this is a sort of conscious thing that we're doing to to try and feel our way into a real product that people can use. Yeah. So like, do you have a native token in Totem or are you just putting entries on like, yeah, I did this many dollars or this many euros? Well, there is a native token um, in Totem, uh, but we're, we're not referring to it as a token as such or even as a cryptocurrency, but it's we're, we're calling it transaction allocation. So every activity that takes place on the Totem network will cost an, a single unit of transactions. We, we don't know yet. We're still experimenting with this as to, to how we cost that. But at this particular stage, we're just saying, okay, one particular transaction is, is just costing one, one unit of, of your transaction allocation. And, and this way, we're kind of trying to remove the user from having to have discussions about cryptocurrency or blockchain, because that's not what the product's about necessarily, but it's, it's un underpinning everything. This totem token, like it's not really meant to be like the unit of exchange and value in the system. It's just to manage transaction fees so that people can track their other units of exchange. That's right. So I guess this comes down to the crux of what accounting does. Accounting isn't really the values themselves. If you think about a, just an invoice, when you create an invoice, the amounts that you create get posted into your accounts, but they're not the money. They're just an accounting entry. The money side of it comes after that and you end up with reconciliation. How do you reconcile what happened in your bank account with the invoices that you've produced? So the actual payment side of things is completely separated from the accounting side. And that's that's something you have to bear in mind. And, and it's easily forgotten when you talk about cryptocurrencies and blockchain networks that there is this other aspect to it, which is not to do with the actual transaction, but to do with how that transaction is recorded from a financial perspective inside your business. Yeah, so like we were talking before this about like STRs and um, how like a bunch of people get together to just decide like what the value of a euro is. How do you see this like impacting like bigger monetary systems beyond just like business to business transactions? Because this is a kind of global network, I think in the long term there will be an impact. Where Totem came from actually came out of a lot of discussions that I had with clients that I had uh, in my kind of normal life before cryptocurrency and blockchain. <laughs> that, that It's maybe a bad sign that we refer to life in blockchain as not normal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, and basically, uh, you have global businesses. So I worked for a lot of very large corporations, and I supported their finance functions. Uh, and what you have is Every month, you have financial controllers in every part of the business in every part of the world producing a spreadsheet with all of their accounting, but with their account statement. And that accounting statement will be in the currency that they use within their region. And those Excel spreadsheets are emailed to a global uh, FPNA department. Wait, is this 
When you say a spreadsheet, you mean literally an Excel spreadsheet? Literally an Excel spreadsheet. Some of the biggest companies, the last company I worked for, a $450 billion company in Europe alone would do this. So they would copy and paste the details from all of these hundreds of financial controllers who'd been emailing them these spre spreadsheets into a larger spreadsheet, which they might call a big file. <laughs> and they would they would literally map all of that data to the global company currency. So in this case, it was a US dollar. And then they would um, literally manually change the values so that they all mapped to US dollar based on the exchange rate that they may have decided themselves in the last uh, day or so. It would be based on some information that came from Thomas Reuters, for example. But they would adjust all of the previous results from the rest of the year based on these new exchange rates. And then they would take that huge accounting document and then publish it to the market. So there's a, all of this manual work that takes place is, in, in my view, completely crazy. Uh, it became obvious that global corporations are in desperate need to have their own currency. I mean, it sounds crazy, but actually it's true. If they had their own currencies, then they wouldn't have any of these problems. And there's, I don't see any reason why today a large corporation couldn't consider creating its own currency and solving all of these problems. I mean, could a company make a its own currency based on like an SDR model where it's just like a basket of the currencies that it does business in? Um, it could do that. That's one option that it could do. Um, it could also take that a one step further if it's dealing with other large corporations that have their own currencies. It could use those other currencies in order to make a basket of currencies to then create a sort of stable coin for themselves. It's There are sort of many possibilities around that, but I, I think it's inevitable that at some point, I and mean, we've seen it with Facebook Libra, for example, that companies are considering this as a genuine possibility. Uh, adding to the um, use of all our backdated technologies or um, uh, spreadsheets, I actually worked in a company before in Australia where they were actually resellers of Telstrites, the biggest telecom in Australia, who actually would send them text files with line-by-line -line text with specific structure that would have to be uh, parsed in a way and then stored uh, in their own database, which actually they, they were before using a third-party solution where they would have to pay only for invoicing and then uh, maintaining this data. They would have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars just for that. The use of, the, I mean, old and backdated uh, systems are, um, I mean, t compared to that, spreadsheet is quite <laughs> much better, at least it's structured data. And in the text files, you'd have to write like a certain number of character. There is a number, certain number of character. There is some some other data. The way companies uh, stick to those backdated, uh, you know, systems, it's 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 really sur surprising. Yeah, it's like when it's done manually, it's just like a disaster <laughs> waiting to happen. Yeah, uh, and I think accounting generally is one of these spaces where. It doesn't get much love in the tech world. You don't see many startups that are doing anything really innovative in accounting at all. And a lot of the business models that have been created by accounting software vendors center around the fact that you create this software for an individual enterprise, and then if we sell it to a thousand enterprises, we've got a thousand times our license fees, and and that's the business model that they're working on. But they're not seeing the bigger picture that we're actually moving forward into uh, a much more broader set of communication methods 
across the world. So, you know, we're talking about communicating with companies wherever they might be. And this idea of being able to communicate with any random party is perfect for blockchain. That's that's essentially one of the functions of, of blockchain. Yeah, so talking about uh, accounting being sort of a black art, and a lot of people think that about programming also. Um, can you talk about like how these are related? Yeah, so it's kind of ironic. If you talk to sort of everyday people in the street, they'll say to you, oh, you know, what programmers do is a bit of a black art. We don't really know. It's kind of complex and maybe it's witchcraft or something. And it's ironic that accounting doesn't get much love in the tech space because perhaps programmers think that accounting is a black art. But accounting is, if nothing else, based on rules and rules that are quite heavily specified and programmers like specifications and they like things that are very clear. It's easy to implement something if a specification is clear. So that's why we kind of feel that accounting is one of these spaces where we can really do some interesting things. Today, for example, you've got accountants who will creatively manage your accounts. But Totem is kind of against that idea because creative accounting is essentially for want of a better word, falsifying the accounts or changing them in a way that perhaps, or presenting them in a way they, they shouldn't be presented. And Totem is about transparency and validation and verification and all of those things that come along with blockchain, auditability. And we don't want to see a world where people are falsifying accounts and changing things because it gives them some benefits that perhaps they shouldn't have normally or even if it's just a case of presenting things to convince other investors to invest in their business where, in fact, it's not doing as well as they would like to present. So, you know, th these kind of things do take place in the real world. And, and Totem is about challenging whether that should be allowed or not and, and saying, well, we don't want that. It's crazy that a lot of this gets done manually when, like, all of these accounting rules are formally specified. If you can put it in a formal specification, you can write instructions for a machine to do it. That's right. That's absolutely correct. Even simple things like if you if you run a sort of large international business, the exchange rate that you choose to present your accounts in can be any exchange rate that you like. And this sounds completely crazy, but it's it's what happens. So you can have an exchange rate that's set at the beginning of your financial year and you can choose to present your accounts using that exchange rate. But of course, the exchange rate changes as time goes on. So do you then update it to the new exchange rate? And do you use the exchange rate of the previous month to record it for the new month? Or do you, is there a new exchange rate that you can use for the previous month? Do you use the exchange rate of the day? Or do you use the exchange rate of the minute? You know, it's it, these things are, are not fixed in stone. And it's the job of the company treasurer to decide those kind of choices to present the accounts in the way that they, they want to present them. But it shouldn't be like that because you should be recording things according to the rules and just applying those rules without having to think about it. Are those rules always clear about like when you should mark an exchange rate? Like are the rules clear? It's not so much the rules necessarily. So at the moment, what tends to happen is the treasurer decides and then they have to follow through with the decision that they make sort of continuously so that those rules are common. Uh, how, how they do that is common for, for all sets of reporting accounts that they right. produce. You can't use like hourly one month and then monthly the next month because no. it looks better. No, you couldn't do that. Right. But that's there is some flexibility in that. One of the things that uh, you should, probably will be get asked is that 
why do we want to use blockchain? Because uh, we could just make a software that does all these things uh, in, in a centralized way. So one of the things is that transparency, obviously, and the security, that uh, it's unhackable as far as we, uh, the current technologies goes. Um, uh, it's unhackable, plus any data you uh, you enter, it's uh, set in stone. I mean, you, you, there are ways you can change it, but it's not like in uh, traditional accounting systems. If your uh, application gets hacked, it's just a, uh, just that the records are simply in, stored in a database that can be hacked, that can someone uh, with access can actually modify it and make changes that without you knowing. If they have the access to database, then they can do anything they want. In blockchain, they don't necessarily have that option. It, it solidifies the security of the data or, or uh, um, the integrity. Integrity, yes, integrity of the data. Yeah, so th th that's one of the reasons that we, we, th we think blockchain is a perfect place for uh, accounting as well. Perhaps I can just add on top of that, something we haven't discussed is how the identities that we use on Totem relate to this notion of accounting. So in, in a normal accounting system, you have a centralized, a centralized database which records all of the accounting information. And the individual participants in a company contribute towards that centralized database. And if that database becomes compromised, then essentially you're, you're revealing all of the accounts for that company. Now, the way Totem works is it's completely different. So we, we recognize that individual employees within a company are responsible for creating fractional entries into a accounting record. But rather than keeping the central accounting record, we just let the individual employees maintain the fractional part of the accounts that they're responsible for. So there's no central record. And if you have an individual employee, let's say, for example, their identity gets compromised, then all you're revealing is the fractional part of the accounts that they were responsible for, but not the accounting record as a whole. So this is a, an important distinction from the way Totem manages accounting information compared to a traditional piece of software. Yeah, well, I think like that, if you look at like a business that's operating in like a local environment, your accounting isn't really, you're not getting revenue based on your accounting. It's just, it's a cost to you. You have to pay some cost to do accounting and you may not realize your limits that are due to that. Like if you're perfectly happy with like having a North American business or something, then accounting might not be your problem. And it's just like something you have to pay for. But then when we talk about people interacting with anybody in the world, all of a sudden your accounting may not be able to handle that. And yes. so it might not get a, love, a lot of love just because like some people don't realize that it may, so it may actually be working for what they're doing and they may not realize that this will be a hurdle to what they want to do. Yes. Yeah. So the, the absolute limitations to the geographical scope of any business based on kind of how, how they manage their accounts. Yeah. So you think this is sort of like fundamental to being able to have people interact with each other anywhere in the world? Yes. Actually, the, last night we were talking about this. Uh, a lot of companies are now have, have like uh, completely no office uh, policy that they have completely remote key teams. And for that 
scenario, it's it's, it's actually kind of something we are trying to actually implement in our system as well. Like, like currently in our prototype, we have uh, projects you can, um, the timekeeping module also has sort of solves this in a way that anybody from anywhere can uh, record time and then uh, submit it to the um, uh, whoever the project owner is. And uh, that doesn't really care about where you are as long as you are doing it in a way that you should be. And uh, in, in, in current structure, the, uh, the companies who has um, remote people working in all over the world, uh, their accounting systems are like, uh, I, I don't know how that, well, they are implementing it, but it's, it's, it would probably be quite difficult to maintain that. Just, just to add on to what you said there, part of the discussion that we had was if you look statistically at what's happening in the employment marketplace, uh, in the UK, for example, there are uh, 5.7 million companies. Now, 96% of those 5.7 million companies are micro businesses. So they have between naught and nine employees. And the vast majority of them are in non-professional trades. So it might be a carpenter or a, a farmer or some skill that isn't necessarily used to creating accounting documents, invoices, whatever. It's It's out of their realm of experience. So what we want to try and do is lower the barrier of entry to these kind of businesses. And that's kind of one of the things that we're doing. But just on a purely statistical level, what we see is with these businesses, 96% of the the, uh, entire businesses, they have half of all employment within the country. So employment is becoming more and more decentralized. And if employment's becoming decentralized, well, that's that's kind of a match for what we're trying to do here as well. We, we had a data sponsor very early on in the project who provide us with accounting details that we're going to sort of use in order to build the the mechanisms within Totem on, on the accounting level. They said they, they were a construction company and they deal a lot with skilled craftsmen. And they were forever having problems with these craftsmen submitting timekeeping and invoicing based on their timekeeping. It was just not something that was done in any kind of professional or systematic way. So what they were looking at is a kind of solution for that. If they had an accounting system that permitted these non-skilled tradesmen to set something up and, and get working with it very quickly and it was fairly standardized, that would solve a lot of problems. And because of the way the economy is going, we're seeing more and more of these kind of businesses beginning to be created and less and less of the larger global corporations employing people. In fact, ultimately, those larger corporations do depend on these individuals who are decentralized staff, basically. Right. So like most small companies don't have access to good accounting software uh, or don't use it. But as more as more of the economy shifts into like smaller companies, they're going to need access to this. So like we need to decentralize accounting in the same way that we're decentralizing labor. That's right. Yeah. Also, we have to uh, keep it in a way that uh, for them, it, it, there is no requirement of uh, knowing uh, what blockchain is or how everything works. The onboarding system is uh, that way we are aiming to reach is they'll just log in or just create an account or just and they start booking time or yeah, just like a mobile application. You just uh, download the application and then you uh, start booking time and your employer will just receive it automatically. So yeah, just making it simple, as simple as humanly possible for those who doesn't necessarily understand all these 
Yeah, so you like might get some tokens when you sign up to pay for it to cover your transaction fees, but then you're just using it to make your entries. Yeah. Because we're trying to kind of make it easy for people to use from the beginning, and because we have this notion that we want to try and avoid the complexities of discussions about cryptocurrency and blockchain, we've decided to change a bit the dialogue, the, the kind of word usage to describe what's going on there. So we have this notion of an identity and an identity can either be a private individual or it could be a company or it could be a series of companies and you manage your own identities, your self-sovereign in, in that respect. But what we also have aside from that is this internal communication mechanism within Totem and this is off-chain. So we're, we provide a, it's almost like a chat service or messaging service, but we, we make much more use of that than simply just having a, uh, a troll box, for example. We use the messaging service in order to communicate information between potential users of the system. So for example, if Tufik creates a new identity, I might ask him to share that identity with me. So he shares the identity with me. I don't need a QR code. I don't need to see a complicated address. But the sharing of the identity is done under the hood via this chat mechanism, and it makes it quite usable for the user. We also are looking at the possibility of attaching to this chat user a uh, encryption key and a signing key and publishing that into a specific runtime within our network. And this then allows you to have a, a decentralized registry of, of public keys that can be used by other users on the network or, or under the hood, if you like, to provide encrypted messaging. But it also allows you to encrypt uh, accounting data that you may want to place on the blockchain for the party that you want to read that information, but nobody else would be able to read it. Yeah, you have this key registry, but then it kind of abstracts the way the whole like QR codes and balances. You can just say like, you know, one button says like, put my key in the registry and it's there. And then people can just link that to interact with you. Yes. So, so we have two modules that deal with that. One is the identities module, which is your own sovereignty, if you like. And then we have the partners module, which is the collection of an address book or a contacts list, if you like. Uh, basically, uh, this communication happens. Uh, uh, you, all you just have to know is the username of, of the other person. Obviously, we, we need uh, a way to identify who that is. So that's where the username comes. So uh, by uh, normally, you would send an email or maybe you would manually contact them. And then you would have to, in other blockchains, that you would have to send them the address. And uh, those bunch of weird numbers in a layman's perspective, they uh, don't mean anything or they, they, they might feel uh, a bit alien. But in a, in in a, what we're trying to do is uh, not to alienate them, and then they, all they have to do is say Chris or or Tofik or whatever the username is, and they just type the username and then they send their identity or uh, the in terms of project owner's perspective, they enter the username of the uh, worker, and then they can invite them, and then they can start working on it. Yeah, it's like how much progress have you made on all of this, and then like when are you expecting like the next kind of release, whether it's a new testnet or some kind of mainnet. Okay, so we're we're not looking at the, the mainnet just yet, but we wanted to get to the point where we were stable as a testnet and then we will launch it officially. And the, the first four modules that we've mentioned already, so we have the identities and partners module and the projects and timekeeping. And this is a bit, um, I think they say dog fooding, where you, you, you build something that you're going to use yourself. And 
and we we felt that okay we're working on projects we 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 need to have some element of timekeeping so that we can find out ultimately how much time we've spent developing this thing for for later on for funding or financing and we also see that to be useful for other companies that are developing in this space i mean for for example we hope that there will be other projects that are working on substrate that may actually use totem just to record their timekeeping and eventually their invoicing you know between parties that they have anywhere in the world so that's that's where we want to get to the point where we've got a testnet up and running which is public and that people can use initially yeah, obviously substrate in developers but but uh, you know sort of beyond that yeah in parallel anything else you want to add or where should people look for uh, more information so we use gitlab as our primary repository rather than GitHub. Okay. I think it's probably something we should consider moving to GitHub at some point, but it, it just started there. And we're at GitLab Totem-Tech. So you'll be able to find all our repositories there and it's all open source. If you want to get in contact with us, you can contact me. You find an email address on the podcast uh, write-up, yeah, I guess. We can put it on notes. Yes. And um, yeah, that's that's about it. All right. uh, we do have a uh, GitHub account that just sh shadows the code we have in GitLab as well. So it's oh, the okay. same username, Totem Let's Take. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thank you guys for coming on. Okay. Thanks Our very pleasure. much. And thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Relay Chain. We'd love to keep in touch. Follow us on Twitter at Relay Chain or email podcast at parity.io. Our team at Parity includes some of the leading peer-to-peer -peer networking developers, consensus algorithm inventors, blockchain innovators, and Rust developers. If you want to learn more about our work or want to work with us, visit our website at parity.io and sign up for our newsletter at parity.io newsletter.